We're going to come into a new chapter here, but yet a continuation. And uh, we're going to come out of uh, chapter four, out of chapter three, where Paul has um, laid out that issue there at the end of chapter three about the law of faith. And uh, coming out of uh, verse 27, 26, or 27, 28 there from last week, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Then verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? And what Paul is going to do now is he, again, we're in the um, courtroom, okay, and the prosecuting attorney, he, he is a good attorney, he's a good lawyer, in that you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. So coming out of chapter 3, where he says there in verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is God, it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. And we talked about those issues there of the means and the mechanisms and so forth. But Paul is anticipating now a challenge, an objection uh, by the Jews. And uh, he, he's anticipating that objection being raised about the issue of it being through faith and rather than by faith and so forth. So, again, because he just told them what? <laughs> 328, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. <laughs> so the Jews are going to say, hey, wait a minute here, buddy. And by the way, that's why a little later on in Acts 15, the Jews come to him, and uh, they don't like the way he talks about Moses. They don't like the way he is handling the issues of the law. And they, they think actually Paul is going against the law, and in reality, he's not. He's teaching uh, that the law will not save you. It will not justify you. And by the way, you can't do anything to get saved, and you can't do anything to stay saved. So then what do the Jews do? Objection, hey, whoa, 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 you know, they're going to pitch a fit. So he, in chapter 4 now, is he is beginning to deal with that issue with the Jews, and he's going to now have two exhibits. He's going to have an exhibit A, that's going to be Abraham, and then he's going to have exhibit B, and that is David. He, he's going to come in now with these two exhibits to defend the principle of justification by faith. And when he does that, he, he's doing it here by using two individuals that actually really um, the Jews have no problem claiming as their own. And he's going to introduce... The evidence here, and, and these two represent the evidence, let me say it like that, that the, the principle of justification by faith is nothing new, okay? It, it is not a new concept in the scriptures. Rather, it's been there all along, all right? And what the Jews are, what he's going to do here is he's going to say, hey, the principle of the law of faith, of justification by faith, without the deeds of the law, 
that issue, that principle is really found all through the Old Testament. If you look there in chapter 4, if you look at verse 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And, and again, that's the, that's the question, what saith the scripture? And that's really what Paul, that's why it's on the moniker above the doors when you come into the room, if you look up. There's a plaque up there, and it says, what saith the scripture? Because that's really the issue. Uh, it isn't an issue of our, under, of, of our traditions. The Jews had a lot of traditions of the fathers. There isn't an issue of any of that. The issue is, is what does scripture say? And what Paul is going to do by using Abraham and David is he's going to say, listen, the Old Testament is not voided when by the issue of by faith, without the deeds of the law. Now, back Abraham, think about these guys. The concept of faith as a means, the concept of faith as the channel by which anyone can stand right before God has already been demonstrated in the Old Testament. This is nothing new. It just, the, the, this now... <laughs> Now what's new about it is, is this become the prominent message? Everything else before that was, okay, you have faith, but now you've got to go do some things. Now it's going to be faith alone. So when you come into Abraham here, and it's an interesting read if you get into some of the Jewish writings about Abraham, they actually believe that Abraham was justified by keeping the law. Okay? Come back to, I'll show you, come back to Genesis 26. And they use this verse, it's, it, and I'm not going to pull the books out and read the stuff to you. I'll put, put you to sleep. But when you think about what, the, what some of the traditional uh, writers and thinkers are, you know, of, about, uh, the, of uh, the um, Levitical writings and so forth, Genesis 26, look at verse 4. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That he's reaffirming Genesis 12. Now watch verse 5. Because, now why am I going to give you the land, all the promises I gave you, the land, the seed, all the families of the earth be blessed? Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. See that? So they say, see, look, Abraham kept the law, did what was God told, you know, kept, his, kept the commandments, and because of that, he, was, he got what? Justified, and he got everything else. Now, it's interesting that when you read people, when you talk about Abraham, they always come here to Genesis 26, or they go to Genesis 22, Okay? because of the issue with Isaac up on the mountain and everything. Do you know that the Apostle Paul never takes you to Genesis 22 or 26? He never does. He takes you to chapter 15 of Genesis. We'll see it here in a minute. See? He, he doesn't take... You know who takes you to Genesis 22? He, uh, James does. James takes you there. Paul doesn't take you there. Paul will take you to Genesis 15. He'll take you to Genesis 16. He'll take you to Genesis 17. But he doesn't take you 
to Genesis 22 or 26. He never does. Why? Because we're justified. Abraham's justified by faith prior to the giving of the law and the activities involved there. So it's an interesting thing when you come back to Romans 4. When you think about Paul is bringing in, he's using two men that are literally the national identity of the nation of Israel. They embody that. If you look here at chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? First of all, it's not, it doesn't say pertaining to his flesh. It says what? The flesh. This, what, he, what Abraham found out about the flesh is universal for all of us to find out. It isn't just specific to him. But notice it says, Abraham, our father. So then what people do then is they say, see, look, the Romans that he was writing to were really Jewish because Abraham's our father. This, this comes out of the Acts 28 camp, okay? And really they are Jewish, okay? So really these aren't Gentiles he's talking to. But yet chapter 1, verse 13 says, Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other, what? Gentiles. See, they weren't Jews. They were what? Gentiles. So when Paul says, Abraham, our father, uh, he come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul does that uh, as, a, as a mechanism here where Paul is going to go back into the past and talk about some things. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the sea, I'm sorry, under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and off you go. But notice, he says, all our fathers. Well, so people say, see, then at Corinth, there were people there that um, were uh, Jews. And it was a Jew, Jewish thing, Jewish by nature. Jew, you know, and, and it's like, wait a minute. The body of Christ is made up of what? Jew and Gentile, both. So when you come back to Romans 4, when he says here about our, Abraham, our father, Paul goes back to the past and he brings in the, these evidence here. It, go back to Romans 4. If you look at verse 16... He says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. How is Abraham the father of us all? Because he's the father of what? Faith, see? So when Paul uses that term, don't let somebody pull a, hey, you know, the Romans were Jews and blah, 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 you know, and discount. Because, what, by the way, the Acts 28 crowd in general, they say a lot of things that are kind of scratch your head with. And what they say is that in Acts 28 is really where the church, the body of Christ, began pertaining to the Gentiles. And the Acts ministry of Paul was he was talking to Jews only. So then the books that he writes in the Acts period are only for the Jews, and then in the books written after Acts 28 are for the Gentiles. The problem with that is 
is he wrote Galatians, he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he wrote Galatians, he wrote the Corinthian books, and he wrote Romans, okay? He wrote five books, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. The problem with that is, is in Thessalonians, what do we learn about? The rapture. So if that belongs to the Jews and it doesn't belong to the Gentiles, we're out in the cold, see? Now, the other thing is, is what else does he talk about? What have we been studying in Romans here? Our justification. Do you know that in, in, in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Titus, and he never tells you how to get saved in those books and what you have to believe? He just says, for by grace are you saved. Redemption through his blood. Okay, what is that? Nowhere does he say, Romans, or Romans chapter 4, verse 5, that you've got to believe him. And it's faith in it. See, why? Because those books are built upon what? This foundation that you already have and already know. So when you get into Acts 20, and again, they say a whole bunch of stuff. And, and you just have to go, okay, he's done talking. <laughs> you really do. You just kind of have to dismiss it and move it along. Because what begins to happen then is you just get, it, gets, it muddies the water up even worse. Watch uh, here in Romans 4. Look at verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, okay, if he were justified by works, there's Romans or Genesis 22, there's Genesis 26. He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Well, wait a second. What, what happened in chapter 3, verse 27? What is the, in the law of faith, what's excluded? Boasting. See, you think about what Abraham did. Abraham learned, uh, 4.2, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 1, as pertaining to the flesh that's found. What did Abraham learn about the flesh? He had no room to boast. Abraham learned... He had nothing to bring to the table. He learned a hard lesson about the flesh. Think about Abraham. Him and Sarah, they have a promise of the seed, Genesis 15, okay? And then he, what does he go do? He tries to do it in his own flesh and has Ishmael. And you know that even today, that issue of that mistake or that trusting the flesh impacts even today? over there in that region of the world. Because Abraham, he just didn't calm down and walk by faith. He's, I'm going to help God out. So when you come in here to Romans 4 and we begin to talk about Abraham, talk about David, and then the rest of the chapter is, is, is those principles, principal issues, Paul says, I call Abraham to the stand Verse 2, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And again, that's the issue. Let's talk about Abraham. And when God talks about justification... And he talks about justifying the sinner on the basis of the principle of faith alone. 
based on faith in the, that propitiatorial work of his son, Paul looks at Abraham as a living demonstration of faith unto justification. Then he's going to bring out David in, in Exhibit B, and David, if you look there at verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. David becomes the living demonstration of the blessedness of justification by faith. See? So these exhibits are brought in to bolster the case about the law of faith. And really to show that God's right and just in what he's doing. He's not violating the law. He's not violating the Old Testament. But rather he's, we're doing something else now and he's right in doing that. Think about Abraham. Did Abraham live before or after the law? Before, didn't he? David, did David live before or after or under the law? He was under the law, wasn't he? So you got... Both are circumcised, by the way, okay? Abraham, I, I can only imagine, <laughs> 100 years old, and you, you got to go get circumcised. Ouch. <laughs> they didn't have any, any put-you-out drugs, but he did. Why? Because he believed the Word of God. Both are leading principles in the national identity of, of Israel. In Abraham, the law doesn't reward anyone with eternal life. No one, under the, with Abraham, you see, no one gets rewarded with eternal life by keeping the law. In David, we find out that the law doesn't provide any provision when it's violated. Think about what David did. He took another man's wife, Bathsheba, so that's strike one in adultery. Under the law, what happens in adultery? Mur killed. They stone him to death. What a tough way to die, to be stoned. Not quick, you know, unless that first rocks to the head, I guess, but it's still. But then he went and he had Uriah, kill, the Bathsheba's husband, killed. See, well, what a, and, and you read the account, and man, what a tough way for him to die. So now we have second-degree murder. See? Well, what was supposed to happen to David? The king's not above the law. It was coming to him. What was supposed to happen? Now he's got to die twice. He's got two life sentences. And yet, what did the Lord do? He forgave him. He went in and he did some things. Now, David doesn't understand how God forgave him. Or why God forgave him. What was God looking for? We learned it in chapter 3. The forbearance of God, right? The end of verse 25. What did God know was coming? Who did God know was coming? The propitiatorial sacrifice was coming. So God looking forward to the cross. But David comes along and does this. So when we look down there at David, we'll get into David next week. What be, and Well, Abraham too. But what happens is, is David all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, wait a minute here. 
against thee and thee alone have I sinned. See, David, he went in, he didn't pull the Pharisee moved and, oh, I'm the king. He said, no, I'm the publican. I'm the sinner, man. I messed up. And Nathan, you go get God and get him on the phone and let's get this fixed. What do I have to do? It's interesting. David messed up. David was a lousy dad. He was a great king, but he was a lousy dad, a lousy husband, you know. And he did things in his life that his kids saw, so they went and did too. And when David stepped in, they said, yeah, but you did it too. And they pulled that, oh, yeah, you did it, so we can do it. So shut up, hit the road, old man. Get out of here. He was a louse, I mean, but yet every time he messed up, you know where he went? Right back to the Lord and said, Lord, I messed up. What do I got to do? See, you tell me what needs to be done, and I'll go do it. And that's where the law came in, and he went and he did it. By the way, Solomon, his son, Every time he messed up, you know where he went to? Human viewpoint. He, he didn't go back to the law. That's why at the end of Solomon's career, he has been taken by outlandish women, <laughs> women from outside the land. And the description of his throne when he is uh, at the end is the issue of he is now a type of the Antichrist. He's got six lions and six stairs and six lions. By the way, his throne was white of ivory. Great white throne set up in Lebanon. He's way out of the land. He's not even in Jerusalem anymore. He's way up north. So, they, so the great white throne judgment's going to sit up there north in the Lebanon area. And you see that great pictures like that. But David comes along, and you know what David demonstrates? Man, when you violate the law, there's no, the only provision is death. And that's what the law was designed to do, was to bring everybody to understand that, they need, that the wages of sin is death. So when you think about David, and when we looked here at, eight, we're, we're going to look at Abraham, 4-1. Let's look at Abraham 4. And, and again, we're going to be looking at Abraham really more than David, but Verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath learned? What did Abraham learn about the flesh? Well, he learned what? It's just, it's, he learned destruction. He, he learned, uh-oh, you know. And, and, and again, it, it come over to... Come back to John 8. I'll just do something here just for a minute. John 8 about Abraham and why Paul pulls Abraham out here. John 8. And then we'll go look at what he learned about pertaining to the flesh. Yeah. Abraham learned that there's no provision. <laughs> there's a problem when you get the flesh involved. Okay. Look at John 8, just real quick, kind of a, a parenthesis note here. Verse 38, the Lord is dealing with the, the Pharisees, and uh, he's been talking to them. He's been dealing with them. And verse uh, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Uh, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, 
So he's been dealing with them, verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them. He's been dealing with the Pharisees, verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now he's, he's not, this isn't Sunday school. Uh, he, he's, he's got them back up in the alley with his hand up against their neck, up against the wall. This is a fight, okay? They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. See how the, Jew, the Pharisees, man, Abraham, write to Abraham. Jesus said Abraham, uh, unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Boy, what a, that's a, that's a stick right in the eye to them. Because what was Abraham's work? What, was, what did Abraham do? He did whatever God told him to do, he went and did it. See, when he, when he goes up there and he takes Isaac up on the hill and lays him out there to sacrifice, you think about what Abraham understood and knew that God had promised him, the issue of resurrection, the issue of eternal life, the issue of a seed line, and he didn't bat one eye and toted his only son up there. He, was, he did, they don't do what God's word says. Rather, what do they do? They add to it, don't they? We're going to tithe, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to do all this stuff, the traditions of the fathers. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. They're going to kill an innocent man. You know that violated the law? To kill an innocent man? That's why the, they will say later that his blood will be upon us. Kill him anyway. We won't have anyone but Caesar. See, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. Ooh, look at that. They pulled up Mary. Yeah, you were born by that harlot over there, Mary. Nothing about being reverenced to Mary, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh-uh, no, they're, they, this is a, this is a little check mark against him. They're trying to goad him. Verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And I'll be honest with you, that's what's got them the most. You read through the, the Gospels, they hated the fact that he said he was God. <laughs> they do. They, they go get him when he does some stuff on the Sabbath, and it's really because... He said, I'm God. <laughs> you know, they really just, ooh. Verse 43, why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Woo! When he, calls, when he says you're of your father, the devil, he's not talking about physically. He's talking about spiritually. You see, but notice their reverence of Abraham. They pull Abraham out. Oh, you know, Abraham's our father. He goes, I can make sons of Abraham out of those bricks over there, those rocks. So when you come back here to Romans 4, 
And now we're going to find out about what, did Ab- what does Abraham learn about the flesh. And what he's going to do is he's going to learn all it did was cause trouble, causes problems. Come over to Galatians chapter 4. And, and that's really why Paul brings in Abraham, brings in David. David was their great king, and they, they worshipped David just as much, but they worshipped Abraham more because of that. Uh, and, and really, they worshipped Moses the most because that's the lawgiver. Galatians 4. Watch what Abraham, watch what he says. The, the, Galatians is the great book of reproof where, you're, where the people at Galatia are mixing law and grace. They are justified, they're saved saints, but they were saved by Paul's gospel, yet they, some people came in and said, yeah, you can be saved, but you know what you got to do? You got to get circumcised because you got to follow Moses to stay saved and to prove that you are saved. That's why in 5.1 he's going to say, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, see, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Why? Because what does grace do? Grace sets you free. It's all, man, grace comes along and says, everything has been done for you. All you, all I want you to do is to believe. Rest in what I've done for you and go live for me. And that's that issue back in chapter 331 there about establishing the law over there in Romans 8, when we get over there, we'll see about the fact that we established the law because the law was moral. It, it produced moral guidelines for the living of life. And there's a morality there that you and I, Paul gives us, when Paul gives us nine of the Ten Commandments to keep and to do. See, now we, the, the one that he says not to do is the keeping of the Sabbath. He said that, Colossians 2, he says that belongs, that's a shadowing of things to come. You don't keep the Sabbath. But the other nine you do. Now, if we keep, say we keep the nine commandments. <laughs> say we do what Paul tells us about the ten commandments. What is God going to, why, why do we do that? See, that's the question. The question is why. Well, Israel did it for what reason? To be blessed. To, to prosper, to, to not have famine in the land, to have the crops come in, to have a, have a house full of kids and have you know, everything be working fine. But we don't keep the commandments to that reason, do we? What motivates us? The love of Christ motivates us. The fact that, listen, he died, he gave us everything, so the, la- the least thing I could do is go live for him. See? That's the smallest thing, you know. And yet, what, what, what does Christianity do? They jump right back in bed with Moses, and the next thing you know, you can't wear shorts, you can't wear flip-flops, you can't wear, you know, what do you mean you were in mixed swimming? Oh, my goodness. You know, and it's all this stuff, and it's like, wait a minute. Now, you know, there's some of that you got to pay attention to, I understand, but still, not in a motivation of the law motivates you to fear. We talked last time about that issue of forgiveness. We were talking about it uh, Wednesday night in Matthew 18. He brings up the issue of forgiveness. Matthew 6 in the 
the so-called our the Lord's Prayer at the end of that is if you forgive the Father will forgive you well we don't operate that way today forgiveness today is done because we understand that we have been forgiven and we're to live that way now you found Galatians 4 right <laughs> okay Galatians 4 verse 19 my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Look at what's going on at Galatia. He's travailing in birth again to him. He wants to change his voice. He's a scolding dad. You know, it's, as a dad, it's a whole lot easier to be, not to have to be scolding and and, and a disciplinary, you know, good cop, bad cop. Well, I was both, you know. I was just the cop, you know. So, but look at Paul, verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Don't you hear what the law is going to say? Don't you hear what it's saying to you? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. How many sons did God promise Abraham in Genesis 15? Just one. See, one by the free woman, but then what did Abraham go do? Try to help God out. I'll help you out here, God. See. But he who was born of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he that is of the free woman was by promise. Abraham wasn't patient. Abraham, you were out there operating not in by faith. You were operating without faith. You thought God expected you to produce something. That's what the law says. You've got to produce. See. By the way, that's what most people think about living a Christian life is we have to produce, you know, and do and do and do and do. I just got a, a, a letter from uh, the Maricopa County Jail and uh, the juvenile division, and they're looking for us to um, allow some of the young folks to come and work some of their community service off here, okay, and to get on their active list and everything. Why? Because what does the law say? You got to go do something. You got to go at community service. Most Christi Christians believe that. Let's go do something. We, they just don't relax because what has God done? He's done it all. Verse 24, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants the one with Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is, the, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, when he says they're an allegory, and then he talks about the issue of the Mount Sinai in Arabia, do you, you, that's where God gave Moses the commandments, the law. That was the mountain that God said, you can't touch my mountain. You come up here and touch it, I'll kill you. 
and it won't be a long, it'll be a quick and swift zap. <laughs> we were out last week scouting for, the, for our hunting trip, and there's an electric fence that runs through there to keep the cows at bay and, and stuff. And uh, the, folk, the guys we were with, he had his little kids there, and he goes, go on, touch it. <laughs> you know, it was turned off, but go touch it, you know. And how he knew he touched, how he knew it was turned off is dad touched it, you know, before. Because the kids are there, they're not going to know, you know. And he's like, go ahead, touch it, touch it. So grandpa, who was with him, he went up and grabbed on, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's what God told him. Don't touch my mountain. Don't even come near. If you're going to come to me, now you're going to come to me through Moses and through the law, a specific manner. You see, what is he learning? He's learning that the law, the flesh, Hagar, Ishmael, all of that led to, into verse 25, bondage. That's what he learned. He learned that the work of the flesh led to bondage, to corruption. Verse 26, or verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. And we, brethren, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. There's the second covenant. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so now it is. Look at Paul. Paul says, you want to know about that flesh? All it does is lead to bondage. It's the negative. It's the, the negative consequence of trying to do it for God. And if you read there in verse 30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? See that, what saith the Scripture? <laughs> I love this. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Throw out the woman. Cast out the old woman. Get her out of here. You don't need that. So when you come back to, well, look over in chapter 6, Galatians. 6, verse 8. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know what? You reap that flesh, all you're going to do is get corruption and bondage. And when you come back to Romans 4, verse 1, that's what Abraham learned about the flesh. Again, not his flesh as in identifying specific, but the flesh in a, in a broad general term because who's coming? We are too. We're coming. And by the way, are you still in Galatians? No? Okay, good. Go back to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Look at verse 8. Galatians 3, 8. 3, 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. There's our Romans 3. What did he do? He preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And you go back and you find out what Abraham was blessed with. 
And that's that issue of resurrection into eternal life. And he had it. So when you come back to Romans 4, verse 1, Abraham learned that that old stinking rotten flesh, all it did was reap corruption. And you know what you do? You go look at Ishmael, and you look at what's happened with Ishmael. Ishmael was, he, he was trouble from the beginning. He went after, oh, over there in Galatians 4, we said that he'll persecute the child of the free woman. That's what Ishmael did. Ishmael went after, I mean, Abraham, bless his heart, goes, goes on behalf of Ishmael to God and says, don't kill him, <laughs> you know, but bless him. And so what did God bless him? He made him a king of 12, 12 kids and everything, but he wasn't the one. And you see the fight today over there in the Palestine. Just this past week, Israel made that deal with uh, uh, United Emirates or those guys in there. And what a, the Palestinians were against it. Well, no kidding. It's a family feud going on there. See? But see, the thing is, is that's, what, that's when you look at Ishmael. But then when you look at Isaac, what do you see with Isaac? You see the promise of God, don't you? You see the promise of life that God gave. That's what you see in Isaac. In Ishmael, you see the predicament of life under bondage of the law. Romans 4, verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. Again, before men, you know what? Think about Abraham. He's 89 years old. And, he, and, and, and God's promised him a seed, so he goes into Hagar, and out comes a kid. At 99, 10 years later, here comes Isaac, you know. Abraham could go down there and say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good-looking guy here. I'm pretty viral. I'm, I, got the, I still got the stuff, you know. He can boast before men all day long, but not before who? Before God. Verse 3, what say, for what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe God about? Come back to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. When you think about this, and you think about the content of Abraham's faith, Okay, Abraham didn't believe that Christ died on the cross and was resurrected the third day for him. He didn't believe that. You know why? Because that's not what God told him. 15.1 After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said unto, uh, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth, Come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. 
And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? That God was going to give him a seed, and the seed number would be more than the stars. See? Now Abraham, in chapter 15, comes after Abraham has finally divested himself of his family. In Genesis 12, the Lord said, get away from your family. Get, don't be hanging around your family anymore. Get rid of them. And old Lot hung on for a while. And he finally got rid of Lot. And then God comes in and he says, now I'm going to give you, I'm going to confirm what I told you in Genesis 12. I'm going to confirm it to you. And he says, okay, that's great, but I need an heir. And God says, you're going to have an heir. Look up. There's one born in my house already. He's our, Ishmael's already there, but, oh, wait a minute. No, uh-uh. <laughs> See? Mine heir is, you know, there's already there. One born in my house is my heir. See? Now, there's no seed. It's not going to be Ishmael. You're doing it on your own. But the promise of the seed, of the heir, that's what he believed, and it was counted for him to, for righteousness. Now, in chapter 16, Ishmael's born. So what did Abraham do? He messed up, didn't he? See? Then in chapter 17, Isaac is born, and Ishmael and Isaac go at it. And then God's, in 17, where God tells Abraham, it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. It's, it's that thing in Romans where he says, the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, Isaac has two boys, Esau and Jacob. It wasn't Esau, it was who? Jacob. The elder shall serve the younger. See, So there's a, there's a line being formed here. But in Genesis 15, that's why Paul bring, brings you here, Abraham believed God. But what did he believe? about a seed line and the promise of the seed and that it was going to go forward forever. If you look down in chapter 15, if you look down there at verse 18, in the, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And there's the giving of the land. He just came through where he just was, in a, in a, he was uh, had a, uh, it was asleep, and he had that vision of Egypt. The, there, back up in verse 12, the horror of the great darkness. And the fact that in the fourth generation, they're going to come out of all that. And there's Moses and so forth. And he says, hey, I promise to give you this land. I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a seed. And you know what Abraham did? He believed him. Now come back to Romans 4. Because what Romans 4 is going to do for us is now amplify Genesis 15 for us. Okay? Romans 4, look down at verse 18. Romans 4, 18. Who, against hope, believed in hope. I love that. Against hope. The hope of a seed. The ho I'm, I'm, I, Sarah and I can't... Have kids. Sarah's will. Well, keep reading. 
I, I get ahead of myself. That he might become the father of many nations. That's the hope. And he believed in hope. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He wasn't weak. In Genesis 15, he wasn't weak in the faith. Okay? Abraham didn't give any credence, any thought to the physical condition of him and Sarah producing a seed. That would never entered his mind. He just what? By faith, believe God. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that which he had promised, he was also able also to perform. Boy, I, that is a great definition of being persuaded. Abraham saw all the evidence needed. And he was fully persuaded. He made up his mind by choice to do what? Believe God. Verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. He looked, he he staggered on He didn't think about anything except for what God said to him. He didn't give give any credence to his or Sarah's ability to perform. He said, God, you're going to have to do it. He just believed God. And in verse 19 to 21, you see seven things about Abraham's faith. And what those seven things do is they show that Abraham had real faith. Because he, later on he's going to say Abraham laughed at God. And everybody goes, oh, see, he laughed at God. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with it. Okay? I mean, let me say, if you're 100 years old 90, and God says you're going to have a kid, what are you going to do? You're going to chuckle. You're going to go, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know? Not a, oh, my, laugh and unbelief, but yeah, okay, you know. But Abraham, he didn't have that. The seven things, one, he's not weak in the faith. Rather, he was strong in faith. He understood that his flesh was dead. He understood that God could do it. He staggered not, and he gave God the glory. And he wasn't in bondage to that flesh. Now, did Abraham go mess up? Oh, yeah, he did. He messed up big time. Okay? But Abraham, by the way, go back up to verse 3. Abraham did what? He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And there's the doctrine of imputation. Notice the term, counted. Back in Genesis 15, counted. Uh, Hold on here, run over back over there, Galatians 3, verse 6, where we just read a minute, a minute ago, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Those legal account, forensic accounting terms. See, there's a debit and a credit. (laughs) 
okay? And the debits and the credits have to do what? Balance. So what does God do to the, to the sinner? He debits the cross, and then he credits the sinner righteousness. That's what he does. That's what he did to Abraham. Abraham doesn't understand the details. He just understood that what did God say, and that's what's got to happen. Now come back to Romans 4. Verse number 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And again, grace and works are opposite of each other. Chapter 11, verse 6. But also grace and faith do what? Work together. And that's coming out of chapter 3 where we saw the issue of the law of faith, the principle of faith, and the principle of grace. They cohabitate. They're compatible. They're going to work together. Okay, they go together. Verse 16, therefore, if it is of faith, then it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Faith and grace are going to work together. Verse 5, but to him that worketh not, but what? Believeth On him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Again, that accounting terminology here. What is God looking for from man? Faith. Just believe. Believe me. Now, how much energy does it take to believe him? Not a lot. How much work does it take to respond positively to his word? To respond positively to the claims of grace? How much? Not much. None, actually. Just simply believing. So the issue here, bringing up Abraham, by the way, verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom, the, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, Guess what Abraham's going to do? I mean, David, sorry. He's going to say the same thing Abraham said. Look how wonderful this is. See, the issue now that Paul is bringing in is it's justification by faith alone. Without any of that activity, without any of the works. And he brings Abraham up and he says, What saith the scripture? The fact is, is that justification by faith has always been there, all the way through it. See, you go back into Adam and Eve. Again, Adam and Eve, they fall. Adam is taught then the issue of the sacrifice, and what happened? By faith, what does he go do? He did it. He did it so much that he taught Cain and Abel how to do it. Chapter 4 of Genesis, when the time was came, there they go. And you know what? Abel, by faith, brought the right sacrifice. Did That's why it's called faithful Abel. And the blood of, your, of faithful Abel. What, what did he do? He brought the right. Why? Be, because that's what God told him to do. What did Cain bring? The works of his flesh. And what did it bring Cain? Corruption. Bondage. 
same thing here. It's all the way through it. So in the courtroom, Paul's, here's exhibit A. And again, we're going to look at exhibit B, but we're, he's going to bring Abraham back because of verse 9, the question gets raised, well, what about the circumcision and the uncircumcision issue? See, so now then we're going to talk about that, <laughs> okay? But just catch what's going on here. Exhibit A, Abraham. What did Abraham learn about the flesh? Just brought problems and corruption. And I could imagine Abraham would sit there as, a, as an old dad and say, you know, man, I wish I'd have never had you, kid. <laughs> but you can't say that out loud too much, okay? I, so, yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because they're not the child they're not the promised child. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because of the because of the concept of the seed of the woman. Sarah has to be there because what's happening with Abraham is it's moving from the seed of the woman now into the lineage of Abraham. But she, Sarah is, um, in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, in the great hall of faith, the people listed, You'll see verse 8, but by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place. But look at verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive. So she is a, a critical point. That's why when Abraham lies about Sarah being his wife, she's my sister, that was such a dastardly deed there. By the way, Abraham goes and has Ishmael. And you know what Abraham never lost? His eternal life, his right, his justification. He never lost it. And that I, I find that very fascinating. Go back to Romans 4. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's a general reference. I have my, my, my butlers here. If he has one, is that mine heir? See, because he's of my house. So when you read in 17 where the circumcision, and he talks when he issues the issues of circumcision, and he says, a stranger of thine house. So he's my property. Every man, child in your generation, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, you know, but born in thy house and bought with, so he belongs to you. There's a ownership there. So Eleazar would have been the guy that would have had. It, it, so what Abraham is asking in 15, Genesis 15 is, if Eleazar has a kid, is that my heir? And, and the answer is no, you're going to have the kid. So then he goes and has Ishmael. He believed God counted for righteousness then rather than continuing walking by faith, now he's walking in the flesh, trying to help God out, has Ishmael, 
God never destroyed him. He never took away his justification. He never did any of anything, you know, when you think about it. He, he went and did everything. He, he went on. He was Abraham. Has name changed, gets the sign of circumcision. And who's sitting there? Ishmael's there. The deed of his flesh is there. But God never um, killed Abraham, killed I, Ishmael. He never, you know, he, he didn't remove, he never said to Abraham, you lost your justification. <laughs> You're not the guy now. We've got to go over here and pick Rehu, you know. Rehu next to Jehu, you know. <laughs> it's okay. Come on, folks. Just Sunday morning, you know. So, yeah. No, Lot was gone. He had to be separated. See, that's the thing. If you go back there to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 1, And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He had already talked to Abraham about this. It happens really in Genesis 10. But... Uh, Get away from your kindred. Well, Lot's his uncle. Get away from all that. You got to. Com- He's pulling Abraham completely away from all the other nations. But Lot hung on, and Lot was a righteous man, you know. But so, anyway, go back to Romans four, and uh, I just want to catch something here at the end of four. Just you know, and we'll pick up in this. You see down there at verse 22, and and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now now it was was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. All that that happened to Abraham happened to Abraham, but it happened to Abraham for who too? Us. And that's what Paul's doing. Now the Jews say, all that happened for us, the Jews. And Paul comes in and says, no, it happened for everybody. So everybody can see it. And that's that issue that's going to happen in verse 9 about circumcision versus uncircumcision. Okay? So Paul begins with Abraham believing God. He's a righteous man. He didn't do anything. He just believed God. But in Genesis 16, he screws up. (laughs) Goes over there and tries to help God. And again, God doesn't reach down and, you know, whack, whack, whack. And you know what? He doesn't do that with you and I when we mess up. He uses his word to correct us and instruct us, but he doesn't zap you on the head. I mean, you think about uh, Dothan and Nathan when, uh, uh, when the earth opened up, the strange fire. I can't remember those guys' name. I just had them. And, you know, Moses said, God said, you do it with this fire. And they went over there with their Bic lighter and did something else. And, I mean, they were instantly gone. House, everything, land, so they were wiped off the earth, period. He didn't do that with Abraham. He just said, no, Abraham, that's your flesh, and this is the promise. And you need to learn about that flesh, that there's no good, nothing good coming out of it. Okay? All right, very good. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for Abraham, for the demonstration here of what it is to live 
in the in the realm of an understanding of justification by faith alone. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Very good.